We're continuing this morning with the sermon series through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, The scripture reading comes from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, which is found on page 957 in your pew Bible. I invite you to open the pew Bible or your own Bible for the reading of God's word. As we prepare to hear his word, let us receive the instruction from the catechism and read responsively for what do we pray in the sixth request. In the sixth request, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, now we ask for the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon us to give us spiritual illumination in our minds, to give us spiritual life in our hearts, to give us spiritual strength in our souls that we might rightly receive your word through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that this word would transform our lives and enable us and equip us to live faithfully as your people, your children, the citizens of heaven, even now upon earth. To the glory of your name, amen. Let us hear the word of God. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. And the first letter of Peter warns us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And that is not intended to scare us. We ought not to be scared 
of the devil. But it is intended to remind us that the devil is no joke. And that left to ourselves in our own power, we are no match for the evil one. And that is precisely the point of this final petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, which could be more literally translated, deliver us from the evil one. This is the prayer that Jesus taught us, the final concluding petition of the Lord's Prayer. Never forget that the devil is a liar. Falsehood, deceit, is the essence of his nature. He is, as Jesus said, the father of lies and the greatest lie that Satan ever told is that he does not exist. Don't believe that one. Now, the first half of the petition, lead us not into temptation, may sound strange or confusing to us because we can't understand why God would ever lead us into temptation. God doesn't tempt us to sin, does he? No. God does not tempt us to sin. God does not lead us into moral evil. The scripture is explicitly clear on this point. James chapter 1 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Therefore, no, God does not ever lead us into temptation in the sense of luring us into sin. Well then, what are we asking for in this petition? Well, first of all, the words lead us not into temptation can be understood as a manner of speaking. It's a way of saying things negatively in order to make a point positively. It is a prayer that God would lead and guide our steps so that we would not wander stray into temptation. It's, it's really very similar to the positive petitions of the Psalms, such as, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. So, lead us not into temptation really means do not leave us to ourselves. Do not allow us to wander and stray into temptation. And then the second half of the petition emphasizes this point by saying, deliver us from evil. So we can, we can paraphrase the whole petition by saying, Lord, don't let me go there. Don't let me go into situations of, of temptation because I'm not strong enough. Deliver me from the evil one. Don't let Satan get his hooks in me. So, first major point, God does not lead us or lure us into sinful temptation. But, watch this, here we go. God does put us through tests and trials. And the fact that God does put us through tests and trials makes this petition all the more necessary for us. Now, why is that? 
Well, in the New Testament Greek, the word for temptation has the same Greek root word as the word for trial, test. And the way you tell the difference is by the context. And again, I refer to the letter of James, which says, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, we don't count it all joy, or we shouldn't count it all joy, when we're tempted by Satan to sin. But you see, there's a, there's a different kind of trial or test. When in the providence of God we're faced with trials, adversities, difficulties, troubles, stress. When those trials require a response of greater faith or deeper humility, long-suffering patience, so that we grow through these trials to become more like Jesus. In facing these kinds of trials, we're to count it all joy because this testing of our faith produces steadfastness. It builds us up into greater spiritual maturity. That's the purpose of these God-ordained trials, tests. But here's the catch. Here's how we're going to put them together. What God intends for our good, what God intends for our sanctification, our growth in Christ-likeness, Satan will use will seek to use for our fall and our destruction. What God intends to use to build us up, Satan will seek to use to tear us down. The providential tests and trials intended for our good are situations which Satan seeks to exploit, which he seeks to use to bring sinful temptations into our lives. Therefore, this petition, lead us not into temptation, is a prayer that God would not allow us to be tested in such a way or to such a degree that we would succumb to the temptation. And it could be paraphrased with this application. Don't test me beyond my ability to withstand temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. Okay, here's a very simple illustration. Let's say that you are going to take a test at school, an academic test, an exam, okay? The good teacher's good intention, this is what they always said, of course, the good teacher's good intention is that the test will provide positive motivation for you to study, for you to perfect your knowledge of the subject. The good teacher's good intention is that the test will enable you to show what you know and thereby earn a reward. The good teacher's good intention is that, that the test uh, will provide an opportunity for you to move on and to move up to the next level of knowledge in the subject and in your overall academic progress. That's the good teacher's good intention for the test. But Satan will use that test as an occasion for sinful temptation. Satan will use that test, that exam, to tempt you to be slothful, careless, irresponsible in your studies. Or to tempt you to cheat, to steal knowledge from a fellow student, and therefore to lie to the teacher. 
The good teacher gives a test to encourage your progress. Satan uses that test to tempt you toward the path of destruction. Or, let's say you're facing more difficult, serious circumstances. Living in the midst of an uncertain and stressful situation or enduring a persecution, rejection for the sake of Christ. Now, that's a trial. That's a tribulation. But what God intends for you in that trial is that you would grow to trust in him more fully. That you would seek wisdom and comfort from his word. That you would cry out to him more fervently in prayer. That you would give thanks to him for the promise that he will never leave you or forsake you. And, and that you would wait upon him patiently to see how he will work all things together for your good. That's God's good intention for the trial in your life. That you will trust him, love him, obey him. Put your hope in him and give thanks to him no matter what. So that you will grow more fully, more maturely in the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, for his honor and glory. But you see, Satan will seek to turn that trial into a, a temptation. Satan will tempt you to curse God. Satan will tempt you. To believe that God has forsaken you. That God doesn't care. Satan will tempt you to doubt God's wisdom, power, and goodness. And ultimately, Satan will tempt you to despair. To lose faith. So that you become a cynical person who lives without hope and without joy. You see, the trial which is intended by God to make you a better person will be used by Satan to try to make you a bitter person. The trial which is intended by God to strengthen and to purify your faith will be used by Satan to try to undermine and to destroy your faith. So you see, in this light, this is a petition that we can and we should pray every day. You think about it. Think about the minor irritations that other people cause us. That they, can, they can be tests of our patience and forbearance. They can be opportunities for us to grow in Christ-like kindness. Oh, but Satan will use those little irritations of others to tempt us to bite back and to lash out with hurtful words. Another person's success may provide a test of our own humility. A test of our gratitude to God for his blessings upon that other person. But Satan will tempt us to envy that person and to resent his or her success. The material consumerism the sensuality, the sexual promiscuity of our culture, you see, provide us with tests of self-discipline so that we might live in moderation and purity and pursue holiness to live as lights shining in a dark world. But 
Satan continually tempts us toward sinful self-gratification, inciting greed, covetousness, and lust within us. Let's take the daily news. The news media has done a really good job of getting everybody worked up in a kind of hysterical frenzy. That's no political comment. It's just a fact. So while everybody's railing at our members of Congress, how many of us Christians are doing what the Bible says, which is to pray for them? You see, we can be tempted to act like the world when God, in fact, wants us to live in a way counter to the world, trusting in him and seeking his blessing, even for our nation in the mess that it's in. Now, the passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 13, teaches us some important lessons about this, this business of being tested and, and being tempted. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is referring to the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites after the exodus from Egypt. And he tells us that what the Israelites experienced in the exodus and in the wilderness journey, the pillar of cloud, the passing through the Red Sea on dry land, the eating of the manna, the drinking of the water from the rock, all of that was a sacramental symbolic foreshadowing of the spiritual blessings that are now ours through Christ, the cloud which protected them and shielded them on the way of the Exodus was Christ. The rock from which the water flowed in the wilderness was Christ. The manna which fed them in the wilderness was Christ. You see, God was with them. God was being faithful to them. God was providing for them. God was protecting them. God was... In essence, saving them. And yet the scripture says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, what does that mean? The wilderness was a time of testing for the Israelites. It was a time of testing their faith, testing their trust, testing their obedience. And what happened? The scripture says that some of them became idolaters. They failed the test. They ate and drank and played like pagans. Some of them indulged in sexual immorality. Some of them grumbled with ingratitude. In the wilderness test, you see, they were tempted by Satan to unbelief and idolatry and immorality. And they succumbed to that temptation. And God did not let that generation enter the promised land. And the scripture says these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written for our instruction. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 11. Now, what's the instruction? The instruction for us is that God tests us to purify us, to refine us, to sharpen us, to strengthen us. Satan tempts us to destroy us. 
And we must always be on our guard, says the scripture, that we might not desire evil as they did. Now, ultimately, you see, every temptation to sin is a temptation to desire evil. Every temptation to sin is a temptation to trust and obey Satan instead of God. Now, now we're getting way down deep on the root. Stay with me here. What's at stake when you are faced with temptation? Every time we are faced with a temptation, it comes down to a very simple question. Who do I believe? Who do I trust? Who am I going to obey? Do I believe God and what he says in his word? Or do I believe Satan and what he whispers in my ear? Every time that you are faced with a temptation, the simple question is this. Who are you going to believe? God, what he says in his word, or Satan, what he whispers in your ear? And that takes us back, doesn't it? All the way back to the Garden of Eden. Doesn't temptation always begin with us just as it began in the garden? Of course it does. With Satan questioning, undermining God's word. Did God really say? You see, all temptation at its root is a questioning of God's word. The Gospels tell us that after Jesus' baptism, the Spirit drove him where? Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And there in the wilderness, Jesus faced Satan. And Satan questioned God's revealed word about Jesus. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Satan twisted God's word. Trying to trick Jesus. Satan promised kingdoms. Power and glory to Jesus. Trying to lure him away from the word of his father. But who did Jesus believe? He believed his father. He believed the revealed word of God. And he chose to be obedient. Even at the cost of the cross. You see, Jesus began his ministry with a battle against Satan. Jesus, the true son of God, the the true embodiment of the true Israel. He had to go back into the wilderness because God's people under the old covenant had failed in the wilderness. Jesus, who was bringing about the new covenant, redemption for his people, went into the wilderness to face the devil and to withstand him. 
And then Jesus continued throughout his ministry in a battle against Satan who continually came against him, whether in the form of the conspiratorial opposition of the authorities or even the faithlessness of his own disciples. You remember at one point Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And it was because Peter had tried to persuade Jesus that he should not go to Jerusalem and suffer the cross. That's it. All along the way, Satan was trying to divert Jesus from his calling to bear the cross for our sins. So at the very beginning, throughout his ministry, Jesus opposed and repelled the temptations of Satan for our sake and our salvation as he made his way to the cross. And then Jesus concluded his ministry in a battle against Satan. Now remember, it was in a garden that the first Adam failed the test and fell to temptation and plunged us all into the dominion of the devil. It was also in a garden, Gethsemane, that the last Adam, the new Adam, the true Adam, Jesus Christ, withstood the test and resisted the devil. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus agonized in prayer, sweating great drops of blood, and resisted the temptation to disobedience, submitting himself to the Father, praying, Your will be done. In the Garden of Eden, the temptation, you remember, had to do with a tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam failed and fell, and the curse fell upon us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the temptation also had to do with a tree, a barren, leafless lifeless tree that bore only the fruit of death. And the temptation for Jesus was to turn away from that tree, to turn away from the cross. But Jesus withstood the test. And in obedience to his Father, for our sake and our salvation, he tasted the fruit of the cross. He humbled himself and was obedient unto death, even death on a cross for our sake and our salvation. Jesus faced the ultimate supreme temptation, the temptation to turn away from his father, to disobey his word, and to save himself. He came face to face with the evil one and was delivered into the power of evil in order to redeem us from the power of evil. And by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus has broken the power of the evil one. He has won the victory. Satan is a defeated enemy. He is a raging enemy who still seeks to lead us to destruction. But we who trust in Christ, who live in union with him by faith, we have this power of the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And we who trust in Christ share in his victory over Satan. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him, and that word is Jesus 
Christ. And so those who trust in Christ share in his victory. And we have the promises of God's word. Greater is he who is in us, Christ, than he that is in the world, the devil. If we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Armed with the armor of God through Jesus Christ, we are empowered to withstand Satan's assaults. And with the shield of faith, we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And the promise of 1 Corinthians 10.13 is that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Jesus Christ is the one who leads us in paths of righteousness. Jesus Christ is our deliverer from the evil one. And so we are bold to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Not because we're scared of Satan, but because we are confident that Jesus Christ has conquered Satan, has delivered us from his dominion, and will be faithful to protect us and to provide for us in all our tests, trials, and temptations. To the glory of his name. Amen. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the promises of your word and for the great work of Christ our Savior, whom you sent into the world to destroy the works of the devil, to crush the head of the serpent. We give you thanks that in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, and have been brought out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved Son. And so we pray, O Lord, that your spirit will attend to your word and work so in us that we might more fully and more truly and more faithfully live as those who follow Jesus Christ, the conqueror, in whose name we pray. Amen.